Welcome to the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. My name is Natalie Nidham. I'm a nutritionist, a human potential, and epigenetic coach, and I created this podcast to bring you the latest ways to take control of your health and longevity. We cover it all, from new technology to ancestral health practices, personalized interventions, and a very special interest of mine, peptides. Enjoy the show. Hey folks, welcome back to the show. Great episode with you today on a slightly different topic than usual. Well, they're always a little bit different, right? What we're going to focus on today is a topic that I've heard not that much about myself, but it's definitely out there. It's called breast implant illness. And it's exactly what it sounds like. It's what a physical reaction illness that can kind of take over when breast breast implants go wrong. And um, sometimes women don't even know it's happening and uh, only find out kind of indirectly after the fact. So anyway, our guest today is an expert in this area. But before we jump in, I just want to thank you guys for being here and encourage you to please leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast on, be it iTunes or Spotify. Uh, If you're enjoying the episode, give us a thumbs up. And um, if um, you think that it would be of value to anyone in your life, and that goes to for you, gentlemen, if there's women in your life, particularly this episode you think would be well served by it, please make sure that you share it out. Okay, so before we go to the episode, I wanted to talk to you about something that's so important for our health, and that is our mental health. And there is an incredible tool available to us called the Sensate. And it can, for the right people, be the ultimate solution for a calmer mind as well as improved well being. Did you realize that the vagus nerve is a direct connection to your primal brain? And so research has shown that activating that vagus nerve can calm the brain medulla, reducing stress and anxiety. Sensate is the pioneer in non-invasive sound resonance technology, uniquely designed to gently soothe your nervous system by targeting your sternum. So what exactly does that mean, non-invasive sound resonance technology? It's a lot of big words. So imagine that the Sensate looks like a black smooth pebble that's about the size of the palm of your hand. And what you do is you rest it on your chest, right on your chest bone. And then it works with an app to deliver that non-invasive sound resonance technology, which is extremely effective. So Sensei users have reported remarkable improvements, including enhanced sleep quality, increased heart rate variability, reduced anxiety levels, improved focus, and an overall sense of well-being. So by using Sensei, you can say goodbye to stress and hello to a more relaxed, centered you. I personally love using my Sensei as I'm falling asleep at night. I just place it on my chest. I play the sound bowls and chants out of the temple's tracks and I just love drifting off that way. So you can try it now and experience transformative stress reduction yourself. By the way, you can also use it during the day. It's not just a bedtime thing, but your journey to a calmer mind can start right here with Sense8. And all you have to do is use code NAT at getsense8.com forward slash NAT and get yours and save a few bucks at the same time. Now, in this episode of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast with guest Dr. Rob Whitfield, we discuss the importance of reducing inflammation prior to breast implant surgery. So we're not here to talk anybody out of anything, but we are here to educate about all of the issues around breast implants. Um, and by reducing inflammation before the surgery, you can really help to decrease the potential of breast implant illness. And Dr. Rob Whitfield's holistic recovery approach focuses on supplementation and lifestyle changes prior to, during, and after surgery. 
We also dive into fat transfers and the best way to have long-term success with augmentation surgery. It's important to know the signs of breast implant illness and all of the symptoms it can potentially cause. Overall, this episode offers guidance on navigating the effects of breast implant illness and how to know if your body is struggling with the symptoms and high inflammation. Dr. Whitfield is an expert at this area and gives expert advice on talking frankly with your surgeon and the importance of supplementation for proper recovery. So a little bit about Dr. Whitfield. He is a board-certified plastic surgeon with almost 1,000 breast explant surgeries under his belt. He brings a wealth of knowledge and experience to the conversation. And if you're looking for, if you're considering breast implant surgery, struggling with breast implant illness symptoms, or just looking for more information about this important topic, then the Breast Implant Illness Podcast is the perfect resource for you, which he hosts. Now, if you want to check out Dr. Whitefield and his coming book, follow along on Instagram at Dr. Rob Whitefield or at Breast Implant Illness Expert. And you can also learn more about Dr. Whitfield's practice. Um, he is practices out of Austin, Texas, by going to his website, which is drdrrobertwhitfield.com. All these links will be in the show notes, of course. Now, one more thing I wanted to share a bit with you about True Cellular Health Game Changer, supplements by bodybio.com. I've been using their products and I particularly love the phospholipid complex, or as we affectionately call it, PC oil. Have you ever really wondered if you're truly taking care of your cells? Well, if you're not including a piece of this in your, in your regime, then maybe you're missing something. PC is a biological substrate, a phospholipid that contributes to cellular membrane structure and function. You can think of it as the building blocks that make up the cell membrane. Functionally, PC enhances the free passage of nutrients into the cell while escorting waste out, enhancing the process of metabolism. And we all know that better cell metabolism equals better cellular health, which equals a healthier you. With over 25 years as a family business, BodyBio consistently crafts its supplements in-house in the U.S. So they are never oxidized or heat-treated. This is critical when it comes to the oils you put in your body. Now you can visit bodybio.com today and get 15% off your first order when you use code Natalie. And that's Natalie with an H, N-A-T-H-A-L-I-E. And now let's jump into the episode. Hey folks, just a quick reminder that all of the information presented in this podcast is for information purposes only. No medical advice, no diagnosing, no treatments suggested here. Before you try anything that you hear about or learn about here, make sure that you check with your medical provider. Dr. Rob Whitfield, welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you. I am coming to Austin where it is frozen like Toronto today. <laughs> okay. You know, it's a lot colder here than it is there. I get, do you have heat at least in your house? At times. At times. Okay. Well, you know, take it as an, uh, an opportunity to you know, check out the dark side and the cold side and appreciate the warmth when it comes back to, because I can, I think I saw, I think I saw in your forecast, because I have, I know a lot of people who live in Austin. I think I saw in your forecast, there's like, there's a 70 degree day coming down the pipes your way, but it is, it does appear that you're on some kind of a strange roller coaster right now. (laughs) All over the place here. Yeah. Well, welcome to the wild and crazy world. Um, so, but we're not going to talk about the weather today. We're going to talk about some really, I think a a really fascinating topic. And to some of my listeners, I mean, some of you guys may think that this is pretty niche, but I've, I've seen, I've heard from enough people in my community who are baffled by 
symptoms that they're experiencing that nobody seems to be able to put their finger on and have seen on occasion them finally coming around to the possibility that maybe something that they had put into their body that they were told would be completely inert might be driving some of these issues. And, um, and obviously, and right now I'm talking about, and we're hopefully going to, you know, Dr. Whitfield has a broad range of topics he can address and two of them in particular, I'm pretty keen on, but we're going to start with, um, with breast implants and how they can maybe wreak havoc with a person's system. So why don't we define first, what is breast implant illness? And you were saying before the podcast that this isn't actually a formal diagnosis. Like you would not see this in any kind of textbook that people are studying in med school. So what is it and why have you become so fascinated with it? Sure. Thanks for having me. So, you know, for almost 30 years, I've taken care of patients and predominantly they've been cancer patients. So the most prevalent, you know, cancer I took care of is uh, breast cancer. So we would do breast reconstruction. I was more of a specific provider in terms of services for that. So I would take the abdominal tissue and I would basically do a tissue transplant from the abdomen to the chest or from the thigh to the chest to create your own basically like transplant, if you will, for breast reconstruction. And that was called autologous. It's your own tissue. Mm-hmm. And then if of course, the most uh, recognizable form of this is an implant-based breast reconstruction because everybody can probably have much more access to that depending on the size of their communities. I always worked at very large tertiary referral centers for cancer, and so I had a lot of access to equipment and technology and training that others you know, wouldn't have access to in a community-based system. But I would provide this care, and from time to time, I would have patients come to me to have their um, implant-based reconstruction that may have uh, developed a problem or they had pain or mechanical issues with um, capture contractures, things like that, post-radiation treatments. And I, I would take it down, meaning I would take all the material out, all the scar tissue, implant material, test it all, make sure there's no cancer, make sure there's no infection, and then replace it with their own tissue. And if they had symptoms, those would resolve. So fast forward to 2016, I had a, a patient relocate from Atlanta to Austin and they wanted me to take down their breast reconstruction and make them flat. They wanted no other reconstructive uh, surgery done. And so I went through the typical consultative process, review the history and physical labs, you know, any kind of diagnostic studies. And there was nothing on her physical exam. Um, You know, I fulfilled her request. Um, She had to be taken care of in a hospital, do some other issues overnight. And At a week, I saw her and her test results revealed no evidence of recurrent cancer, which is the number one thing that we're uh, looking for. But on her culture results, because we would take the tissues, uh, scar tissues out and and really test them to make sure there's no uh, contamination around the implant. She had an E. coli infection. And so uh, this cult E. coli infection, I, I went back through all of my, you know, data and was trying to understand how I how I missed this. And, uh, I didn't have an answer. I did her consult. I, you know, I, I looked at all the data, all the test results, all the imaging, and there was no evidence that would suggest she had an infection. So she had this occult infection, the sensitivity patterns came back to this E. coli and I treated her with antibiotics, which I, I can talk about later. I don't do now, but the patient got better. Um, they had some fatigue that resolved 
And I believe she put me on a uh, Facebook group and recommended me as a surgeon to do explants. And then I just thought people started calling our office in Austin requesting that I do their explant surgery. And um, I was a little concerned because, you know, I've operated for an extremely long number of years, thousands of cases. And I, I can't recall in my history that I missed a implant infection case. Mm-hmm. Does it I not happen? Implant infections? No. And, and, and yeah, I think it's very hard to understand the true incidence of an infection because the the uh, from a cosmetic standpoint, many times these are not being tested in a, a rigorous fashion like they would be in a cancer environment. Because mm-hmm. in a cancer environment, we are taught specific routines to follow and oncologic principles to maintain in the cosmetic environment. Um, you're coming in, you may have a desire to have a, a augmentation with or without a lift after children or, or whatever the scenario is. And if there's a, a time frame where you end up exchanging that device or something, those would be additional costs passed on to the patient. So obviously the patients and the physicians are sensitive to those costs. So fast forward to now, how I do an explant is I've transitioned from traditional techniques, which are like taking Q-tips and swabbing them and sending them off to be incubated to PCR testing, which everybody remembers from the pandemic. It's very sensitive, uses DNA fragments. So it looks at 150 types of bacteria, fungi, and mycobacterium. And then obviously we send everything off for pathology to make sure we're not missing an underlying uh, cancer. Cause I have patients come to me who want to go flats. I have patients who are cosmetic in nature and they just want to have their implants removed along with the scar tissue intact. And we try to do that entirely each time. And uh, we're doing that because about 30% of the time there's a biofilm. So we'll say the biofilm is not to the point where it qualifies as an infection, which is uh, a numerical value on a, on a high power field looking at a microscope. Um, this is a number less than that, but when someone has a biofilm, it creates an inflammatory response in your system, depending on you and how you interact with it. So every time uh, for the audience, you get a splinter, what happens? If you don't get it out, it gets red and irritated. So a device, a hip, knee, breast implant, dental implant, cardiac implant, spinal implant, it doesn't matter what the implant is. I've helped every single surgeon with these devices because from time to time, they'll have problems with them because they're mm-hmm. foreign bodies. So um, if you just think of a breast implant over time contributing to inflammation, it goes from acute to chronic. Long-standing chronic inflammation leads to system dysfunction at every level. Neurologic, cardiac, respiratory, GI, musculoskeletal, uh, peripheral nervous system, central nervous system, et cetera. And then if you add in mold or if you add in uh, Lyme disease or if you add in a environmental toxin exposure and somebody who does uh, have really limited detox pathways, now you have the perfect recipe for what I see. Mm-hmm. So what do you see? What is, what, how does it present? Like, how does breast implant in illness present typically? Yeah. If, it really if there is a typical, cause I bet you it's, it's a whole range. It and is. And that are getting gaslit, right. By their doctors. You're fine. There's nothing wrong with you. <laughs> well, I think I, 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 I understand both sides now because I've been stuck kind of trying to figure out both sides from my client yeah. and then from a provider side. I had, you know, my experience with it. And then 
from the provider side, I've obviously been told some very strange things that I can't correlate with what, you know, Mm -hmm. traditional is taught. But if you just took what's called the review of systems of each system of your body and you had a symptom that was a problem of that system, they would check virtually every box at one time or another on that list. And that's super confusing to general doctor, a specialist, a surgeon. They're like, I don't understand whether this is causing this. And then if you do someone's physical exam, like I had done for my patient, and there's nothing on physical exam that, you know, alerts you to a problem, or if they have a diagnostic study, like a mammogram or ultrasound, that's normal or MRI that's normal. I mean, what do you, you you don't really. Yeah. It's hard to know where to go from there. Right. So you can see the confusion, you know, and, and then people are like, well, I don't really understand this as a problem, but so the, the root of the problem can be more simple, like your genetics, your diet, the air you breathe, the water you drink, um, coupled to, you know, what, what are your exposures? Like, so we look at urine toxicity testing a great deal. Right. So, okay. So, but let's go back to what are some of the symptoms that people might be experiencing? Like if a woman, you know, I'm, I'm seeing this a little bit, like, um, there's a lot of talk about cavitations, about people who've had dental work done or especially sure. root canals where you get this low grade yeah. kind of inflammation that resides deep in the jawbone that is, you know, orchestrating this whole kind of scenario and you just mentioned like it can affect literally every single aspect of your health from cardiovascular health to cognitive health to the way that your immune system functions like all over the all across the map so is there a particular set of like are you do you see certain symptoms more in breast implant illness than others or is it really just it could be anything just depending on this person this most consistent symptoms we see are Neurologic things like brain fog, you know, which is short-term memory loss. Um, you may have light and sound sensitivity, dry mm-hmm. eyes. Um, a lot of people will get this kind of, you know, it, it's it's akin to eosinophilic esophagitis, but you get like this difficulty with swallowing that's really almost like allergic response. And with cardiac symptoms, it's more like, racing heart racing um some people feel like they're having arrhythmias but they're not so they'll get put on monitors and not really have that problem but they'll feel that way yeah shortness of breath or chest tightness is common um muscle and joint pains a host of gi problems you know swelling and bloating and constipation and diarrhea um and neurologic things are very strange. People get tremors, people get um, shocky pains going down their extremities. Wow. It, it's a very difficult when you hear it set of things, you know, from a symptom standpoint to put your finger on and go, oh, it's this. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so is it always, is it, so what is the, the what's the issue with the implant? Is it that the body, is it a pathogen that got embedded with it when it was put in? Or is it that it's leaking? Or is it that the body is just, at the end of the day, is like, yeah, you can say whatever you want, but you are not one of us and we do not fully accept you. <laughs> like, is it, or is it some combination of these or or it could be different things? Well, it's always going to be recognized by the body as foreign, first and foremost. So that's always going to stimulate your immune response. Um 
the ways a device can get biofilm are somebody hands a surgeon a contaminated implant. So they contaminate it before they ever get it. Mm-hmm. Surgeon contaminates it, putting it in. Yeah. Or the third, which is the most common, is basically sp- spread through your blood because a hip, a knee, a breast, a dental implant are not alive. So they can't be treated like any other bacterial contaminant in your body and eradicate it. So when it adheres to that surface, it creates its own biofilm, which is like a little gooey coat. If you want to think of it like that, then your your body's trying to get rid of it. Yeah. So it's, it's turned on already and now it's turned on more mm-hmm. and it still wants to get rid of it. So it's the hamster in the wheel effect. It just keeps going and going and going and going. And then you get all the symptoms of chronic inflammation. And that's, I, that's how I think about it. And that's, you know, what the patients to me exhibit and they may have gone to every fancy clinic in this country and had the discussions. And it's, I don't think a very challenging problem when you just break it down that way. It's, it's yeah. pretty straightforward. And if you're willing, but, but, at, but at that point, is it possible to resolve the issue without removing the implant or does the implant bottom line have to come out to get to that biofilm to get, you know, you're basically, I mean, it's gotta be the easiest way to go because you're physically removing. Right. Yeah. I I feel like I'm in a unique environment in Austin where there's a large integrative or functional medicine uh, group. Mm -hmm. So I have many patients who've gone through years of treatment to try to keep themselves as healthy as possible at whatever expense. And they finally are just like, ah, I can't keep doing this because it'll get better for periods of time. And then it'll, it'll revert and they won't feel well and they won't understand why, despite leading what is a very healthy lifestyle and taking care of themselves. And this happens to be the, you know, last thing on the list that hasn't been, you know, addressed for obvious reasons, because it's a big deal. And uh, no one really obviously wants to have surgery. No one wants to have a surgery like that. That can be aesthetically an issue. So we, when we do it, we offer uh, different programming um, to both reduce toxicity and make people more eligible for fat transfers. I do a lot of fat transfers. That's probably one of the main things I do at the same time. So I'll take fat from other areas and transfer it. And there's a lot of things written about fat transfers that are kind of funny. So fat is the original filler. Mm-hmm. So it's autologous, but it has to heal in the position with which you place it. It belongs underneath the skin, not in the breast tissue and typically not in the pockets because it can't heal there. It has to, once you take it, it has to heal obviously. And there's very uh, elegant models to describe this, but it's really, you know, it relies on your body's ability to heal it through stem cell activation and healing in those areas. So we really work hard to help people lower inflammation who are really, that's their, intent is to have a fat transfer. So my holistic accelerated recovery program, which we have a book coming out about shortly helps put them into position through functional genomic testing, toxicity testing, gut health testing, hormone balancing, food sensitivity testing to really look at what opportunities there are to go ahead and reduce their inflammation, help them potentially with a a, a period of detox before that's not too aggressive, but helps them and then have their surgery. And then once that's done, really help them from a detox standpoint, a inflammation lowering supplement standpoint, and then surgical recovery standpoint. And I have hyperbaric oxygen in my office. I have lymphatic massage in my office. I have relic therapy in my office. So people will spend about a week 
to two weeks with us, depending on where they're coming from, just to focus on their recovery. Mm-hmm. Oh, I would think so. So how long does a fat transfer last? Because you would, you know, because I mean, you know, the interesting thing about fat is I think we underestimate it as a tissue and as an organ. Mm-hmm. It is metabolically active. It is hormonally active. Like it, it's, it's a thing. It's, it's, and we don't think of it that way. We just think of it as this inert stuff we don't want in most places. Um, yeah, it's a dynamic, dynamic uh, tissue. It, it's a powerful tissue because it brings your own stem cells with it. So adipose-derived stem cells are mesenchymal stem cells for everybody listening, and they will not give you a breast cancer. There's been you know tons of uh, kind of disinformation about that because it can't. Breast cancers are epithelial in nature, and the cell coming from this is mesenchymal in nature. It can't. Just through uh, its lineage, it can't give you a breast cancer. Uh, sarcoma phylloides is the only tumor it could give, and that is an absolutely uh, less than you know one percent type behavior. So I've used them, and I used to do sarcoma reconstruction, and never put fat in a sarcoma defect for that reason because it's the same cell type. So. Okay. In a epithelial uh, cancer like breast cancer is typically the ductal cancer that has been used for ages. To be honest, I've I've done it for patients since two thousand and two. Wow. So okay. So how long does a fat transplant last? So it's like longevity, right? I think I use the example of like if you're in your thirties and uh, we do a fat transfer for augmentation, or someone does a buttock augmentation. It, it heals and it lasts. And as you metabolically change, things change. That's more to the point is hormone changes happen and metabolism changes happen, thyroid changes happen. That's when I see variance in, in results because people's weight will adjust over time. Some people lose weight when they get older. Some people gain a bunch of weight when they get older. So the fat will just go along with whatever's happening, basically. Oh, so if you start losing fat, and you've had a you've paid all you've done all this work and had this fat transfer, you could it could be counterproductive with respect to that one goal of the fat. Yeah. You know, obviously we'll just talk about the the GLP one in, inhibitor the right now. in the room. Yeah. <laughs> it called about this a lot. And so just Thank for everybody, you. you know, who's listening, it's best to ask me before you do that after surgery. So the the short answer is. If I'm doing a very um, elaborate fat transfer for you, uh, we don't want you to go home and see your practitioner and get placed on uh, a GLP-1 like a Zimpic, uh, just because that's going to affect what we're we're trying to do for you. So we help people uh, with you know as much guidance counseling about that as possible, but it's best to always discuss that uh, whether it's me or so- someone else helping you with things like fat transfer because. We're taking a metabolically active tissue and we don't want to do things to undo it as it heals. Yeah. yeah. But once it's healed, well, it still will be subject to all of the metabolic influences in the body that affect fat. So it doesn't yeah. matter if it's two weeks after the fact or two years after a fact, whatever you're doing to your body that affects your fat, your adipose tissue is going to affect that adipose yeah. tissue too. It's not. Certainly can it's not isolated out of the, out of the system as it were. No, no, it's your, it's your tissue. It's like, that's why it works so well. So yeah. in this environment where I've got people losing weight, all of a sudden at large amounts of it, um, even after I do things, I, 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 
I feel like we just have to have a discussion about if you're considering that, you just tell me and I'll tell you, you know, no, that's not something you want to do right now. Or, okay, if, if you're going to do it, do it in this manner and we'll pause what, you know, our treatment plan will be for you. Cool. Um, so let's say a woman has breast implants and she's not feeling particularly awful. I mean, she feels, she feels fine, right? That four letter F word, fine. Uh, she feels fine. <laughs> she's concerned about her longevity and health span. She's like, um, you know, I'm, I'm, what are the odds in your experience that those implants are count are running counter in they're running counter to her long-term goals. So she doesn't have like severe issues going on. She's not walking around thinking she's losing her mind at this point. Um, you know, she doesn't have massive inflammation that she can tell. Um, at what point would you say, like how much of an impact do you think the implants have on that whole system homeostasis, if you will, because I think, you know, I think one of the interesting things about humans is we can adapt to a lot of different weird things. Right. And, you know, as a, as a practitioner myself, like when I start working with people very often, they don't realize how crummy they feel, they feel until they feel better because we normalize feeling not great. We're just like, right. I'm fine. Like I'm, I can get through my day. I can do this. I can do that. I can get through most of the things I need to get done. So, but you know, I'm, I think I heard you say in another interview that about 30% of women will be, and I'm, I could be wrong about this. I thought I heard you say that about 30% of implants will be an, maybe an issue for people. And is that purely dependent well, no, it's probably somewhat dependent on genetics and somewhat dependent on whether some nasty bug got in during the surgery. Is that? Right. So uh, hopefully here in the next uh, couple of months, we'll have our experience published. So about 30% of our consecutively tested samples uh, since 2019, it's, I think it includes over 900 samples. The rate of biofilms is 30%. So how it got there, once again, we discussed the the three options. Most of what I think is going on, honestly, is not at the time in the OR. It's just life in general. So someone gets a cut or someone gets a cold or someone gets urinary tract, and whatever. Whatever the case may be, you get hematogenous spread and then that interacts and creates, you know, the contamination. And then if it's a bacteria that helps really produce biofilm like Cutibacterium acnes, then it's even more of a problem for your, for your body. So in terms of, you know, what people will experience this, I've done a host of tests and I don't have one just to hang my hat on to tell us how much inflammation you're experiencing. So whether it's when I do a no cut facelift or I do an explant for breast implant illness, everybody has a baseline. Mm -hmm. And I know we can drop it through support of their uh, pathways for immunity through supplementation and identifying other risk factors and modifications of their diet. So there's no one has the one thing that can tell you like, okay, it's at this level. And if we do these things, it will drop. The things that people look at in blood work, said rate CRP are not very helpful in our patient population. So you don't hang your hat on that. Mm -hmm. I've looked at other markers, thromboxane, A2 derivatives in the urine. And the problem is it's all 
it's not sensitive or specific enough to give you the information to then follow longitudinally. So I know from start to finish, predominantly all the patients, I can drop their inflammation once we look at all the factors especially their tox reports, because if I do an explant, but I don't know you have mold or I do an explant, I don't know you have a, a triclosan exposure or a phthalate exposure exposure or a, another environmental toxin. And that's just going to sit there. So it's, you, you, you don't know hundred percent of the things you don't look for. So mm -hmm. it, if you identify those factors, I think then you can actually pave the way for the patient to do better from an inflammatory standpoint. But when people stay swollen, stay fatigued, you know, that used to bother me a lot. I feel now we're, we're lessening the pool of people who can experience that by just being very, you know, just being very careful as much as we can on the front end to identify, okay, what else is stimulating the system? And once you know that, People were like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that. Or, you know, uh, maybe they live in a certain place uh, and that's got a bad, you know, uh, air quality because of the industry around it or what they're building around it or whatever. Like mm -hmm. you never know what's going on with people. So yeah. I have people come from all over the country and now out of Europe. And you can imagine I'm, I'm seeing quite a few interesting things that I had no idea you know, and, and if we don't counsel and, 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 you know, express this back to them so they can go back to their environments and try to work it out, it's going to dog them even after surgery. So the surgery is a component, of course, but, you know, making sure that you can manage these exposures and, and decrease your, you know, toxicity to a point where you feel better. I mean, we can go into long discussions about me and mold. I, I actually went and got plasmapheresis recently just because I've had difficult, you know, issues with mold toxicity in my own life. Hey guys, any chance you're finding yourself feeling a little more drained or stressed than usual? Well, let me put you onto an innovative solution by Leela Q. Leela Q harnesses the power of quantum energy and it can help you to increase your vitality, reduce stress, combat e the negative effects of non-native EMFs that, that can cause headaches, anxiety, and depression, boost your biofield for better sleep and blood flow, and even slow aging. Studies show that Lila Q products like the Heal Capsule or the Lila Q Blocks or even the water bottle that helps to structure your water are backed by science and that they are powered by nature. They even help to increase ATP production for cellular energy and to promote a longer lifespan. Now you can get 10% off your first Leela Quantum Tech order with code NAT10 at leelaq.com. And if you're interested in their quantum upgrade program, you can use code NAT15 at quantumupgrade.io for a 15-day free trial. And then let's get back to the episode. Interesting. Well, it's so prevalent at this point, right? And it's, and if it's not one kind of mold, it's another. I think, you know, there was a time when people were like, oh yeah, well, you know, all you have to do is go live somewhere that's not damp and you're safe from mold. <laughs> and it's like, actually, mold is one of those organisms that's super creative and adaptable and it lives in Arizona. It's just a different kind of mold. <laughs> like it's just, you know, mold is mold. So so how much does, so where do you begin? Like, do you begin with, with the testing or do you begin with the genetics or those are, those are like kind of hand in hand, both pieces of the puzzle that you have to look at 
like right out of the gate kind of thing. Cause you know, there's this whole concept of your bucket, right? How full is your bucket? And you get sick when your bucket overflows. And it would seem to me at this point that any foreign body you introduce into the body automatically, you know, raises that bucket a little bit and how much depending on, as you're saying, the terrain you're introducing it into. So do you already have lime mold, EBV, like other kind of, or environmental toxic exposures that your body's already trying to deal with? Or is it and or, and it could be an and or, are your detoxification pathways right out of the gate just because of your genetic predispositions kind of not optimized? And so now you've got two things going on at the same time. Yeah, my curiosity has always been about genetics. So I, I'm looking for clients who are supremely committed to understanding everything about the problem. And it's not just a surgical problem. If you think it is, then at the end of the day, you're going to be not happy by the outcome. So everything for my recovery program is rooted in your genomics. So your genotype, you know, what are your detox pathways, which you're alluding to? Everybody has them. Everybody has them and they work at a certain level. This group of patients has pretty limited detox. That's why they become so symptomatic. So then you look at their exposures and their gut health and your food sensitivities and your hormone balance. Like a lot of people have really suppressed thyroid function or sex hormone function. So when you look at all of it and we do that on the front end, so testing is integral. We have an inflammation support bundle. Be, and, and I know everybody's like, oh, I take too many supplements. All right. I don't want to hear her. that problem <laughs> is, you know, there's pill fatigue. So most of ours are liquid liposomal formulations. Mm -hmm. Frequency, most of them are once a day. And, you know, they're, they're not that many and they're super specific to genetic pathways. So I, I'm trying to augment somebody who has pretty limited detox, pretty poor absorption, and in the most efficient way possible prior to surgery so we can help them through surgery. So I don't stop supplements during surgery. Mine are formulated to not uh, expose the patient to undue risk from bleeding by having too many of one, you know, form of supplement in them. So I just continue them. And then uh, we use uh, cell core before and after surgery for detox. So we're trying to really give a well-rounded approach to it in a supervised manner as possible. Yeah. Well, that makes that makes a lot of sense. I've often believed that this whole blanket stop all supplements. I don't know. What is it like a week or four days or five days before surgery, two, week. two, two weeks week. before surgery, mostly is because people, you know, the the health professionals in question can't. First of all, people are really bad at telling people what they're taking. That's for starters. And then the second one is that the health providers, depending on their training, don't they don't have the time or the knowledge necessarily to sit there and go through every one of the supplements and decide what's going to work for you, what's going to work against you. So they just issued this blanket statement, stop everything. Yeah, it's basically, you know, the herbal supplements are unregulated. So you don't know the the quantities of anything. So you have to not be taking those. So for my patients or potential patients, you're taking mine and mine only. You're not taking other things from other providers. You're not taking things from Sprout or the, you know, online stores. Because if you have, say, too much ginkgo in something, you're going to basically anticoagulate yourself and bleed. Yeah. So the reason providers do it is, one, they want to be safe in every situation. Absolutely. And two, 
you have to be, you know, in my practice, very, we're very specific about what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. So you're using ours, not theirs. And these are the formulations and this is why. So, um, we've just, you know, taken that upon ourselves because, because it helps. I don't want anybody to stop a couple of weeks out when they're doing better and then go through the process where they have surgery and then they got to recover and then they got to resume. And it, it's, it's not, it's already complicated enough. So. Yeah, for sure. So basically the, so, so you, you're offering really a full, well, we could call this a holistic approach. Like you're looking at every single piece of the puzzle uh, both before, during, and after the resolution of of the breast implants. And so do you, have you seen, like, do the dental, like, do the dental issues coexist here, do you think? Yeah, our patient populations are very similar and they're very sensitive to that. And they ask me, you know, what to do, do this first or do that first. And I, I don't have a, a specific, you know, like got to do this in this order. So the breast implant's a pretty large device if you think about it. So For the body, if, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if you think of it just as, you know, if there's a, a, you know, proportion, you know, dynamic to it, then I say, you know, this is a, a much larger device. Um, I, I don't, you know, have enough kind of overall, like to like patients to compare like did they do this and have a better outcome i don't have that information at all i just have patients go like i'm doing this first with you and then i'm going to go to the biologic dentist or i've already went to the biologic dentist and now i'm with you because we're just taking things off the list that are potentially a problem yeah. and um my you know my patients at this point are super selective because they want to follow a holistic accelerated recovery program like i have and they want you know that's a big attraction, you know, for us, because we try to be extremely detail oriented in what we're doing. Yeah, oh, I love it. I think that's, it's great. I think that's uh, so amazing. And so, so you have a book coming out and it, it outlines really your program. And you were saying before that we started recording the podcast that you, you have a, you have a goal in mind here. Like you have your, your vision is not just to do more surgeries and treat more patients. You have a much bigger vision, um, which is great because I think, you know, once you get to, you get to a certain level of mastery at your craft, which isn't to say that you're not going to keep learning and, you know, you learn something every day and all that, but you're only one guy and you do have this kind of greater vision of, sharing a lot of what you've learned with other practitioners and surgeons. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Because, you know, well, it, does, it doesn't seem to me like this is necessarily particularly commonplace. So, Well, I, I feel like, uh, you know, you want to provide as much value as possible. So the, the value for us will be getting our book published about holistic accelerated recovery with some nuances, providing new insights and therapies and peptides and um, stem cells and uh, functional genomics along with pharmacodynamic testing for your genome. So I, I think, you know, computing caught up and I was in med school before the internet became a thing. So before Google, I was alive and in med school. And I think now people type things into Google for answers. Fair, it's fair, but it, it's 
okay, it's like using AI. If you don't know the prompt, how are you going to get the correct answer? Exactly. So when I you know think about this now, I serve a lot of audiences, not just my client audience. So I have people who they have no idea what this problem is and they're just looking for an answer. Mm-hmm. And so I have a show and, you know, we have a book coming out and we'll have another book coming out. So we have that group who's just clamoring for some kind of information. And then we have obviously patients of, of ours and of others. And they want more information about recovery. Cause like you said, not everybody's going to offer what I offer regarding recovery. Mm-hmm. And then I really want to help the providers because I think they're trying to help patients, but they don't know or understand what's going on. So it could be an acupuncturist, a naturopath, a MD, ND, DO, MP or NP, a PA. It could be anybody just trying to help health coach, but they don't know how best to help. So we want to serve those audiences because they're all important audiences. Mm-hmm. And then surgeons who want to understand what I'm talking about and engage in it and learn more about it. And be, I think the biggest thing is I want to help anybody curious about it because I was super curious about it. And that's what led to what I did. Everybody's like, why do you do all this? I'm like, I don't ever like missing things. I don't like not understanding things. The people who trained me were very talented and they um, encouraged me to always remain curious about what's going on, not, not settle for an answer if that's not the right answer. And, uh, you know, I, I feel that's, that's the most important thing is, you know, I have a pretty large amount of experience and evidence to support what we're discussing in a way that makes sense. I think when you fundamentally think about it, so as, as much as we can do to help, we want to do that. Yeah, I love it. Now, for this audience in particular, you said a word that is the magic word here, and that's the P word, the peptide world word. You mentioned that you you pro- possibly incorporate those in your protocols. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Are you using peptides kind of as a, a healing modality or in helping the immune system behave a little bit better or... Well, I'm always getting in trouble for something I say, so I might as well just put this out there. <laughs> so obviously peptides are useful. Um, recently, the FDA became a little critical of peptide use. So currently we're just kind of on hold in our practice because I don't know what they're going to do, much like with stem cell discussions. I, I, I just, it's a bit confusing to me. I know they're trying to regulate things and I, I, I hope they always take the position of safety, which is the goal. But um, I don't find peptide therapy to be an unsafe, you know, part of practice. And I've experienced peptide uh, peptide therapy myself and stem cell therapy myself. So I would never put a patient through a process or program or therapy that I I couldn't experience. Uh, Obviously, I can't experience uh, different surgeries, but I've had five knee surgeries and an Achilles tear. So if anybody thinks I'm inexperienced about having surgery, I've had knee. Um, That's a nasty one. Yeah, peptide therapy, you know, BPC-157 for just recovery or GHK. I mean, there's lots of really useful ones. Mm-hmm. I try to be careful with our patients and, and what we prioritize, which is their diet first and foremost, and, and their air and food, qual- or, I'm sorry, air and water quality. And I try to keep it simple with supplementation. So I've, I've really limited peptide therapy even before the whole position by the FDA just because I need 
an extreme amount of compliance with a program. I have outliers when people cannot follow the program. So if I make the programs too complicated, then I'll have a difficult time. And peptide therapy for every everybody listening is very specific. Some are daily, most of them are injectable, and I I I want to keep it really simple in recovery. So I typically don't include those in all my plans. And then now, because of the position of the FDA, we've just uh, paused what we were you know what we were doing. I, I every there's lots of therapies that are going to play larger and larger roles over time. And and that's one I think for sure. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I've had some experience. I actually had, um, I've talked about this before. I've, I've, I had a small surgical procedure on my chest and every plastic surgeon I spoke to said, it will scar. You will have a really bad scar. And, uh, you know, so I put it off, put it off, put it off. Finally, I'm like, okay, the hell with it. I'm doing it. Like I had this cyst growing and it was like turning into a third organ. I was like, okay, this is not okay. I'll deal with the scar. <laughs> like, I've had, I actually fell off my paddleboard and exploded it. And then the damn thing came back. It was just, it was awful anyway. Oh. So, but I, by using peptides and both, I actually use a few of them topically. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, if you looked very closely, there's a hairline imperfection in the skin, but right. you can't call it a scar. So. I mean, we'll we'll put it in my book and I'll have to put the disclaimer in there. This is, you know, we feel these are, are the peptides that are available currently and they can help, but you have to obviously uh, approach it with a disclaimer. It depends on where you are in the world, whether or not yeah. these are going to be available to you. And just like stem cell therapy, I mean, I mean, it's is what it is right now. So. Well, so it's interesting what you said earlier about the adipose tissue because it comes with its own stem cells, and so does that inherently facilitate healing of itself, like just by the fact that you're bringing stem new stem cells into the area. Yeah, principally that's, that's why it works. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Um, so just I just wanted to touch on another topic that another area that you work in, which is this whole facial rejuvenation space, which is very different than um, giving people facelifts. I mean, facial rejuvenation could be a facelift, but you have a very different approach to it. And so I just thought for the audience that is interested in it, maybe we could touch on that a little bit before we move on. Sure. I, I think, um, and we talked about it before the show a little bit, I really am interested in natural results. I think we have a lot of unnatural appearing people. Um, if you watch an award show, you'll notice them. Um, you may notice them at your holiday dinners, depending on where you are. So, yeah. you know, we want to always promote um, a natural appearance. And so I've trademarked something called the no cut face, where we take skin and remove it without leaving a scar. We tighten necks and we enhance deeper tightening of the cheek tissue and neck tissue just through different energy modalities or through different devices. And it's all meant to be a minimally invasive way to make an improvement, to make a change and not leave you with a visible scar. So I I, I don't feel like... Um, in this day and age, uh, I can really support like big tummy tuck scars or facial scars to get a, a result when we have, you know, things that provide 
tightening through energy, uh, like radio frequency, or if we can do a minimally invasive neck lift, um, my zoom lift, or if we can do a, a skin removal that doesn't leave a scar with a microcoring device. And so when we put all those together, that's really my no cut facelift. And we, you know, traditionally will provide growth factors, whether it's a stem cell therapy or an exosome treatment, or, you know, uh, prior to the FDA's position on peptides, peptide therapy. So there's lots of things that you can do to enhance the, the appearance without, um, basically having a traditional facelift, which I don't do anymore. Um, I concentrate on these, these, uh, procedures that I feel like make sense. And I run my program around lowering their inflammation prior to either a breast or a face procedure. So those are the two things I concentrate on. Um, and I, I hope that as we get further and further along in this decade, that more and more technology arrives that will allow me to be a bit more flexible with this so I can do it throughout a number of different uh, groups of patients of different skin types and ages. And currently, you know, I, I can organize plans uh, for patients, but you know, the problem with anything is the patient keeps changing on me. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the best patient for the type of interventions that you practice? Because you were saying to me earlier that, you know, you have to have a certain amount of elasticity still in the skin right. or, you know, if your skin, if you, if there's no, if the skin's sagging and doesn't have that rebound, um, you're, you're going to struggle to yeah. get it's, to the it's, a, it's an interesting, um, this is where it, it pays a little bit to have me as your provider. Cause I can examine you and tell you that, but in general, past 30, 35 years old, our collagen and elastin goes down the content of our skin. And that's what gives us the, you know, tightness and quality. And, um, I've done this on folks in their mid to late thirties, forties, fifties, sixties. And the preference is younger versus older because the content of the collagen and elastin is higher. Right. And so, you know, if you're thinking of the bell shaped curve, you don't want to be on the other end of that curve. You want to be closer to the front and that will help me get you a more impactful result. It's all going to help, but the, the issue is how much and, and where you're starting from. I, I guess it's always that for me. Like at what point do I have to start you? Like if I someone, have someone come in and they're there, they've decided they're going to get their face done. They've come to that conclusion. They'll come see me and I'm probably uh, like um, somebody's worst nightmare like that because I have no problem with telling you no. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll tell you like, yeah, I think you need to run this program because of the way you eat, mm -hmm. you drink, all these things affect you. And if I don't uh, perceive you as someone who's really committed to the process, you're not going to be a client of mine. Yeah. Well, you're not going to, they're not going to reflect. I mean, they're not going to get the results. They're not going to get a happy A. And, you know, it's not going to be a great reflection of your work B. But so can a 60 year old do these, have success with these procedures? Yeah, you can, you'll have to do more of the micro coring portion of it because the skin lacks. Really unpleasant, the micro coring. Is, is it that my imagination or what would like, how micro? 
like nano micro? <laughs> 0.5 millimeters. So if you've had microneedling, you know, it, yeah. it's a poke hole, right? A little puncture and that heals and produces collagen. So that's nice. This is removal. So it's a microneedle that's hollow and has a 0.5 millimeter head. And so it's taking tissue out. So in areas of concern, like the cheek or the jowl area, um, works really well. Those are the FDA approved areas. You can do uh, in the in the trial they did uh, sessions. Um, they did three. So it depends on where you start, but it's something that you could build a treatment plan for that you could do on a annual or every couple of years or five, whatever, whatever, you know, you decide, like, once again, it goes back to picking your parents and how you eat and how you live and how you're aging. So if someone yeah. has a really, you know, set up to have a high inflammation, you know, program, they're going to age faster. Mm-hmm. And so I, I can't stop that completely um, with a, a facial aging treatment. So if that person's very committed to a one stand, you know, draw a line in the sand type treatment, that's going to be an open facelift. So, right. but people age out of those as well. It's not like those magically are the end all be all. Otherwise I wouldn't get asked to revise so many of them. Right. Well, they don't freeze you in time, right? They will, they'll pull you back and then you're going to kind of age from there. So for these techniques that you're talking about, um, again, you're, you're, what you're doing is you're driving rejuvenation at the at the skin level. You're not really moving things around in much in the same way as a facelift right. where you're going to cut and lift and move things. Right. You're so, and so you're going to end up with, so interesting. It's, the, it's one of the few things that changes texture. I think a lot of people I've heard on different uh, programs in your world talk about the skin and how aggressive treatments are. I don't laser skin anymore. I haven't for many, many years because I feel it's a controlled burn of the skin is a very, um, it's not the injury I'm trying to get. It's, it's more that I'm trying to create an environment to lay down as much collagen and elastin. And there's methods that make more sense to me over 30 years than others. So I prefer something like, microneedling, microcoring versus lasering, which is very aggressive and ablative lasering, especially creates a controlled burn. And that's why it works, obviously. Um, But it also can make skin more fragile. So I like these types of minimally invasive techniques that kind of, you know, create an injury, just like if you were to go and get uh, an IV within a day or two after the IV, you can't see where you had it unless you bruise because your body heals it and it's gone. So working on that premise, if you take these smaller microneedling, you kind of see where the concept goes. If you're under 0.5 millimeters, nothing scars because it's too small to be visualized. Okay. So that was my going to be my next question. Is there a risk of scarring in people that don't? You know, because people do heal differently, right? Different people. Right. You get the people that form keloid that's, scars and that's the cutoff. Right. Yeah. So if you're up to a millimeter, you're going to see it. So if someone's getting a hair transplant, they use a one millimeter diameter uh, punch. That in itself creates a visible scar. So when you're working under 0.5 millimeters for this, which is to remove skin and help tighten it you won't create a scar and you can do uh, up to, Oh gosh, I think the most I've done on a face is a little over 26,000 cores, which is about one and a half square inches of removal. 
That sounds that sounds painful, but I mean, if it's like microneedling, it's not as bad as it sounds, really. It's- yeah, it's all under local. I've done all of my traditional facelifting, uh, this minimally invasive treatment, uh, radiofrequency treatments, and my no cut facelift under local now, really since the pandemic. Okay, yeah, that makes total sense. Okay, well, let's um, tell people about where they can find you and learn more about you and. Get, be the first to get their hands on your book when it comes out um, because it's coming out imminently, right? Next couple of, next month or so? Yeah, they're, they're cracking the whip on me. So yeah, it's, it's it chop, chop. <laughs> um, so for breast implant illness, we have several uh, channels. Uh, breastimplantillnessexpert.com is the URL and then at breastimplantillnessexpert.com expert and then on youtube at breast implant illness expert and then for the cosmetic treatments we're just looking to uh learn a bit more about the rejuvenation that we spoke about the no cut face left we have um dr robert whitfield.com dr robert whitfield.com as a url and similarly on uh instagram and youtube you'll find that and i have two shows one about breast implant illness and one about cosmetic surgery you can just follow and i try to give as much information in the in a easily digestible manner as possible well i've been to your youtube channel it's fantastic because a lot of your your videos are quite short so it's bite-sized pieces it it really you do a good job of breaking it down for people so what are the so you have two different podcast two different shows where you produce content okay so what are the names clearly of each Implant Illness with Dr. Robert Whitfield. Yeah. And Dr. Rob's Solutions with Dr. Rob Ert Whitfield. Okay. And that's on Spotify, Apple, all the normal channels. Until I get kicked off again. Yes. Why did you get kicked off? How could you I'm, possibly get kicked off? I'm always getting in trouble for something, to be honest. That's a gift. Good for you. <laughs> Means you're doing something right. <laughs> All right. Well, Dr. Whitfield, thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate your time. Let's do a follow-up when when your second book comes out. I think this is, I do love your approach. I love this kind of whole holistic full body approach. It's unfortunately not, not out there enough. And it's nice to see that people are taking note and uh, I'm sure the results that you get with people speak for themselves. Well, I appreciate you having me on and uh, I look forward to visiting you, visiting with you again soon. Thank you. Hey guys, before we wrap up today's episode, I want to thank everyone who has left a five-star rating and a review for the podcast. If you haven't yet left a rating and review and you love this episode, I would so appreciate it if you did. Each and every one truly helps the overall growth and success of the podcast, which allows me to continue to bring you more episodes and helps me to help more people to optimize their health and longevity. All you have to do if you're on Apple or on Spotify is open up Apple Podcasts or Spotify and take two seconds to click your rating and leave even just a one word review. Thank you so much for your continued support and for tuning into today's episode. If you have any questions about the episode or any questions you would like me to answer on the podcast, always feel free to reach out on Instagram at Natalie Nidham. I wish you all the best this week in biohacking your superhuman performance. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please remember to leave us a five-star review on iTunes because that's what helps us to be heard and to be seen. If you'd like to connect with me directly or if you'd like to leave any comments or if you have any questions about this episode, please reach out to me directly through my website, 
natnidham.com. And of course, if you're not already a member of the Biohacking Superhuman Performance Community on Facebook, that's where you'll find me every day. It's a short application. Just answer a couple of questions and you're in and interfacing with other amazing biohackers. Thanks again, and we'll look forward to seeing you on the next episode.